you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to our great God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who is not silent. You are a God who has spoken in creation and is speaking in your wonderful, marvelous creation. You are a God who has spoken in your word, the holy scriptures, and you have spoken to us fully and completely in your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with us today. Lord, we are a needy people in need of you, in need of your forgiveness, in need of your grace. And so, Lord, we pray that you would provide that today. Lord, be with us as we look at your word. Draw us closer to you. Let us see more clearly today who you are, who we are, and what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, so, as we began last week, we, we started looking at the book of Philippians, but we really didn't get to Philippians at all. We looked at Acts 16, the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey where he went to the city of Philippi. And it was filled with, with supernatural things, with crazy earthquakes, with Paul going to prison and being beaten, and with uh, a Lydia, a, a, a wealthy businesswoman coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way, a, a young slave girl coming to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, and a Philippian jailer. And so what we saw was that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people, is for the wealthy, for the poor, for the, for the average guy out there. We, we see it in, in Acts chapter 16. And so as we come today, I wanted to just stop and pause and do a little more intro before we get into the meat of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. So that was probably, let's say, 10 to 14 years before Paul wrote this letter. And what we're going to see is that Paul finds himself imprisoned again for preaching the gospel. This guy was single-minded about people hearing the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead for our good and his glory. And so this week, we're just going to look at the first two verses. And um, if I had to sum up the way this letter is constructed, it's a lot of different topics Paul goes over. But, but one of the threads through all of it is joy. Joy in the midst of hard times. Now, now again, Paul, like I said, he's not writing this from an ivory tower. He's not writing this in the lap of luxury saying, hey, guys, be joyful. Like, like I'm warm, I'm well-fed, I'm eating good. He's in a prison. He's in a prison saying, count it all joy. Something's going on there because I don't know about you. I find it hard to count things. I mean, when it's... Here in Connecticut, when it's 90 degrees and my AC's not working, I'm sitting there moaning and complaining. Oh, oh I'm, such a, I'm such a wimp. And here Paul, he's been beaten. He's in a jail with, with no cable TV, no weights to work out, no college education to receive. He's in a dungeon. And he's saying, count it all joy. When it comes to joy, I want to hear from a guy like that. I want to hear from someone who's been through the fire and in the midst of that can say, my God is good. And so joy is this thread that runs through this letter. And so if I could sum up what we're going to see and what we're going to learn over the weeks to come is if I could sum it up just in a catchy little phrase, I would say further up and further out. Further up into our relationship to know Jesus Christ. 
the crucified, risen Lord, to know him better, but, but not to just know him better, but to make him known. So we go further up into our relationship with Jesus Christ, but we go further out into our community and around the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so let's stop for a moment. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. The city of Philippi. We saw last week Paul enters this city. And so just a little background. Philippi was settled um, in ancient times largely because it had a huge deposit of copper and gold in this region. So it was an important place. It was originally known as Crinides and it was seized in the 4th century B.C. Um, from Philip who was the father of Alexander the Great. So put your historical pieces together. The father of Alexander the Great seized this city and he renamed it hmm, Philippi. So Philip seized it, named it after himself. And in 42 B.C., Brutus and Cassius, we know that name, those names, right? They advocated for a republican form of government. They fought Antony and Octavian, we know those names too from our history lessons, who advocated for an imperial form of government. They fought near Philippi over governmental reform in Rome. See, some things never change, right? Right? People are still fighting about politics today. But, but what you have going on here is in 42 BC, you have this war that happens. And after the battle, Antony settled some of his victorious veterans there. So he, he, some of the war veterans, some of the army guys, he settled there. And in 31 BC, Philippi became a Roman colony. This was a big deal. This was a big deal. The townspeople were declared citizens of Rome. Now, in this time, you wanted to be a citizen of Rome. It came with benefits. Latin was the main language spoken in the city, and it became like a miniature Rome. It was located on the Ignatian Way. It was a major thoroughfare between east and west. The special privileges they enjoyed... We could all go for this. No poll taxes, no land taxes. So they were living tax-free. They were living tax-free. They had the rights to buy and sell property and all the protection and rights of Roman law. And they had special Roman governmental leaders there. This is why Luke in Acts says this was a leading Roman city. So what is going on here is this city is a big deal. And we see the Apostle Paul goes, and remember last week we saw the church started in this major city with a rich businesswoman, a slave girl, and a Philippian jailer. So you have all walks of life. You have the soldier, the blue-collar guy. You have the slave girl who was, who was poor and owned by someone else and used and abused. And then you had Lydia, this rich businesswoman. And, and what God is telling us is this church started with a ragtag group of people from different walks of life. And, 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 and his church has continued the same way. Rich, poor, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, different classes. God's church is not contained in one group of people or one country. And so let's take a moment and look. This letter, um, and in ancient times they would... When we write a letter, we finish it with sincerely or whatever your little tagline is and your name. 
Well, they would introduce themselves at the beginning. And so Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Paul, we saw last week, was Saul who was having Christians persecuted. He was essentially, he was essentially like a modern day terrorist. He was having people killed because of their faith. And we see Paul has an encounter with the risen Christ. He has an encounter with the risen Christ and he begins to follow him. And this guy goes crazy preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we saw Paul's initial entrance on a second missionary journey in Acts 16. And right now he's in prison, probably in Rome. And we know that from uh, chapter 1, verse 7, verses 13 and 14, 20, 30, and chapter 2, verse 17. Paul is in prison again. Imprisoned again and probably in Rome. And we'll talk about that more as we go along. But it says Paul and Timothy. Timothy was one of Paul's companions who he met on one of his missionary journeys. Timothy was raised by his mother and grandmother in the ways of the Lord to know Jesus Christ. And he began to go with Paul on his missionary journey. And, and often what would happen was he, Paul would maybe be under house arrest or in a prison. But one of the things in this culture was the, the prison didn't provide food. Family or friends would provide clothing, food, other things like that. And so Timothy became Paul's companion. And often, I think, Timothy would transcribe Paul's letters. So Paul's telling him what to write. And Timothy would write it. So you have Timothy, a young man who's one of Paul's companions with him. And notice, notice what he says. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Here's an apostle, one who had had an encounter with the risen Lord who could stand up and say, guys, I'm important. I've seen Jesus. He's commissioned me in special ways. And, and how does he refer to himself? As a servant of Christ Jesus. And, and if you look at the Greek text here, the word actually isn't servant. It's stronger than that. It's slave. He says, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, when we think of slavery, we think of our country's awful history with it. Uh, but in these times, slavery was a bit different. It was often, uh, maybe a country would go in somewhere and, and make people their slaves. But it was often in Roman culture uh, and in Jewish culture, indentured servanthood. So uh, we tend to think of... Um, Slavery as, as race-based because of our country's awful history with it. But that is not what was going on here. In this culture, oftentimes you would have very wealthy people who would have very, very um, intelligent individuals as their household slaves to, to educate their children, to, to manage their households. It wasn't quite the way we think of slavery. But... But what Paul wants us to know is that he and Timothy are slaves to a king. They answer to someone else. And that someone else is Christ Jesus. He's not just anybody's slave. He's not just anybody's slave. But, but he's slave and a servant of Christ Jesus Jesus was their Lord. And what we're going to see is Paul's going to tease some of these things out. And we see, we, we see Paul saying, hey, I'm a servant. But what we're going to see later is that Jesus came as a servant. To be a servant, to serve his people. And so Paul's going to tease some of these things out in the letter. And we're going to delve deeper into them. But it's important to get that Paul sees himself 
and other believers as slaves and servants of Christ Jesus. Next, to the, re- the recipients, it says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So, so he's writing this to all the saints who were in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And briefly, overseer is a word used interchangeably in the Bible with pastor and elder. So when you see overseer or pastor or elder, it's talking about the same person or the same group of people. And historically, what would happen was Paul or another apostle would appoint multiple elders, pastors, or overseers to be over a church to care for the spiritual needs and to shepherd, lead, and teach the word of God. So you have this primary role of overseer. So he's writing it to the overseers and also with the deacons. And we see from Acts chapter 6, the role of deacons, they were given charge of the day-to-day and the physical needs of congregations. So you had the, the overseers and the pastors being in charge of the spiritual growth and nourishment of the church and the deacons saying, okay, we'll care for some of the physical needs and, and, and some of that. So he writes it to the overseers and deacons, but also notice he writes it to all the saints in Christ Jesus. This is one of the Apostle Paul's favorite ways to refer to believers as saints. Saints. To all the saints in Philippi. One of Paul's favorite, he uses it in Romans, in Corinthians, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Thessalonians, in Philemon. So, so let's stop for a minute culturally and think about this for a minute. Paul calls all these believers saints. Many of you maybe have grown up with a Catholic background. My wife has. And, and I, I don't want to be offensive. The Catholic Church bungles this. We, right, we think of saints right as super-duper Christians. Those super-duper Christians who, who earn so much favor with God that... that, that that we, we call them Saint Christopher or Saint whoever, right? Don't, don't, we th- don't we often think of that? Maybe if you grew up Catholic, it's just ingrained in you. Oh gosh, I lost something. I need to pray to Saint whoever. That is nowhere in the scriptures. Nowhere. Nowhere. And, and I'm emphasizing that because what Paul and the other writers of the New Testament emphasize is that you and me... And anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. It's not something, it's not something for the special super spiritual class. It's for you, for me. Saints, and what the word means is set apart. You're set apart to be a part of God's family when you trust in Christ. You're set apart to live a life of holiness and, and generosity and servanthood when you trust Jesus Christ. And so I want you to get, throw away all of that stuff you grew up with maybe. I know it's not that easy, but, but you need to, and we're going to get there in a minute, see yourself, if you've trusted Christ, as a saint. Again, it even feels weird saying it, doesn't it? Because we think of the super, super spiritual as saints. Not the one who yelled at his kids the other day or maybe yelled at his wife or Vice versa. We, 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 don't, we, we don't like to think of saints as... Oh. So he writes this letter to the saints who are in Philippi. And it is for you and me as well. But notice 
Notice what else he says. To the saints who are in Christ Jesus. So he's writing to them and to us. There is a dual citizenship going on for believers. The ultimate is in Christ. That is where they ultimately reside. In Christ. And we're going to, in a moment, talk a little bit about what that means. But their temporary residence is in Philippi. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your ultimate residence, the ultimate place where you reside is in Christ. But your temporary residence is the United States and maybe Wellington, maybe stores. But that's not ultimately where you end up, right? And so so he's writing to them as dual citizens, and he wants them to see that their first and fundamental, their first and fundamental place where they reside is in the kingdom of God, in Jesus Christ. So when we think about this is, again, one of Paul's favorite phrases to talk talk about being Christ. What, What do we mean by that? Well, just an illustration, if you think about an airplane, Think about an airplane. You, you can look at an airplane and, and admire it and say, oh, these engines are huge. These engines are huge. I, this, this is an amazing, amazing piece of machinery. As the airplane begins to take off, you can chase behind it and try to follow it. Try to catch up, right? It's not happening. It's not happening. But, it, but if you want to get to where that airplane is going, you've got to be in it. You'll be in the plane. And so when Paul talks about trusting in Christ, he's saying you are in Christ. What's true of Christ is true of you. Where Christ is headed is where you're headed. So you've got to get in Christ, and we do that by faith alone in him. We believe that he died for our sins, rose from the dead, and we become in Christ. And so, so then our loyalties lie first and foremost somewhere else. They lie with Christ and the kingdom of God. So, so no matter who the president is, no matter what political party you come from, you may have some very unpopular opinions because you've known what it is to be in the kingdom of God. And you know that, that Jesus Christ calls us to, to love our enemies, to do good to those who persecute us. And, and, and so I want you to see, if you've trusted Christ just like these believers, you have a dual citizenship. And ultimately, your citizenship lies in the kingdom of God. So just like an airplane, you can admire it. Just with Jesus, you can admire his teachings. You can admire who he was, the way he lived life. But unless you're in him, unless you're in him, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us today? Briefly, briefly, it means that Jesus is Lord. Now we're going we're gonna to tease that out more in the weeks to come and we're going to see what that means because Paul has this beautiful, what, what theologians call the Christ hymn. Where he finishes with, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what we're going to see is that you definitely want to do that now, here, and confess that he is Lord. But one day every every knee will bow and every tongue confess and recognize. But, But like Paul and Timothy, 
We are called to live as servants and as slaves of Christ Jesus. This is why the Bible and why Christians historically have always referred to Jesus as the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, when you you say Jesus is my Lord, you're giving him a blank check for your life. (laughs) Now that's a scary thought, right? There's not many people I'd give a blank check signed to. But, but what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Change any thoughts I have. Change any patterns of life I have. It's yours to mess with. He, he wants to shine his light into every nook and cranny of our life. And that, let's be honest, is uncomfortable. Because all of us have those like pet things we like that we don't want to give up. Yeah, I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not giving this up. I mean, that's mine. Right? But, but that's not recognizing him as Lord. And he calls everybody, everybody, to recognize him as Lord. And so like Paul and Timothy, we need to see ourselves as believers and see Jesus Christ as Lord. Because I, look, maybe you're here today and this just sounds crazy. Like, a slave of Jesus? That's just crazy. But, but let me say this. If Jesus Christ was who he said he was, if he really came and really was God, like he said he was, because, again, throw the notion off that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Um, I know I've mentioned here before C.S. Lewis, the famous line is, Jesus was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. The things Jesus said, unless they were true, I mean... They were crazy. He said he was God. He said he would take the sins of humanity upon himself on the cross and three days later rise from the dead. And we have eyewitness testimony that that happened. And it's in here. And so if if you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it makes no sense to say, well, yeah, I believe that, but... I don't really want to follow him as Lord. Because if, if he is who the Bible says he is, he's creator. He's sustainer of all things. He's the ruler. He's the defeater of life and death. So that means he knows what's best for all of us, right? And so it might not feel good. I heard someone say recently, when God, when God starts to begin to work on you, he's, he's got this thing called the fruit of the spirit. Here's what he wants to develop in us. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everybody's favorite. Mine especially. Don't we love that one? But, but that's what God wants to produce in us when we give ourselves, when we give our lives as a blank check. Don't you want to be more loving? Don't you want to be more patient? More kinder? I know I do. I need to be. I want to be kinder. I want to have more self-control. This is what happens when you give Jesus Christ full and and, and just recognize him as Lord and say, my life's yours. That's what he'll produce. And those are good things. You know, we never, we rarely ever look at someone and say, they're too joyful. I I mean, I mean, have you met him? He is kind. Did you, you see that guy was cursing him out and he said, bless you, brother. Uh, How can I pray for you? He's just too kind. Right? Do we all want to be kinder? And so, so what we need to do is recognize that the claims Jesus makes on our life are good for us. 
And so if you're here today and you've never recognized Jesus as Lord or you're thinking about it, I'd love to talk to you more about it. Because what Jesus calls us to is simply to trust in him. He doesn't call you to work hard, to earn his favor. He says, come and I will give you rest and I will give you family and I will give you a father who loves, accepts and adores you and wants to spend time with you. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good deal. So what do I need to do to get it? What do I need to do to earn it? Nothing. Just receive it. And on that note, lastly, what you need to do, if you have trusted Christ, you need to remember who you are. Remember who you are. This is one of the, if not the, keys to spiritual growth. Understanding what God already says to be true of you. What he already says to be true of you. This is the key to spiritual growth. And what does he say? If you've trusted him, you're a saint. You're set apart for him, even, even when you blow it. He says you're his child. He says you're his child and he's your loving father. You see, I talked to someone not from this church, actually two people not from this church, um, in the past couple of weeks, and they said they really struggle with just feeling condemnation from God, not feeling God's approval. And, and, and so I talked to them, and, you know, have you recognized that you're a sinner and trusted Christ? And, yes, I have. Well, quit. I didn't really say that. But, but, but I, what, I, what I said was grab the promises of God in Scripture and meditate on them. See what God says about you, how you're beloved, how he sings over you. Right? I mean, how often have we grown up thinking God was this big, angry ogre? Right? A little bit like Santa Claus, but a little angrier. You better watch out because he's watching you. He's making a list, and you're going to get cold. Right? God's torn the list up. God put the list on Jesus Christ at the cross, and he says, it's all by grace. Come to me, and I will give you rest. And so as Christians... As those who've trusted in Christ, we need to remember that on the dark days. On the days where we commit that sin that we've committed a million and five times and can't seem to shake. We need to run to a father who loves us, forgives us, and has given us a kingdom. Remember your position. We're going to talk about this more. And again, if you'd like some more information on this, I had a list at the house of, just from the book of Ephesians, 44 things that God says about you. 44 things. And they're all good. <laughs> they're all good. We need to remember who we are. And so let's close in prayer as we think about this great letter. And I'm so excited. I know we only looked at the first two verses today. We're going to look at some bigger chunks as we go along. But I'm so excited. And I want you to leave here excited about what Christ has done for you and for me. Simply by his grace. I don't know about you. But in a world of chaos. In a world of condemnation for this, that, and the other thing. I need to hear this good news. I need to hear it daily. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace, Lord. What an awesome Savior you are. Lord, you are good.